we made the trip down to Statesboro, you and I, and uh, another uh, lovely group of the pack, and uh, watched them play Tormenta. I got a really cool video of Greg Hurst's diving goal, which I shared with the group. And uh, then our buddy, Wolfman Jeff, in his uh, Red Wolf report, used said video. Um, you definitely want to check him out. We uh, we love all of his match reviews. Um, so you go to uh, YouTube, search for Red Wolf Report, or if you find Soccer in the South on Twitter or on Facebook, he uh, he always posts it there when he puts those up. Uh, go ahead, we'll wait. You guys go uh, go search for that right now and go watch that. It's less than ten minutes, uh, and then you come back and uh, listen to the podcast. All right, ready? Go. So, got a little bit of rain at our our house this afternoon. Uh, did you get any rain today? Uh, like two different times it rained. It was heavy at times. I can never tell because I do a terrible job of cleaning the gutters. So even a light rain seems like a heavy rain as it overflows. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, everybody's back. Oh, okay. back. Okay. So, so you saw the video, and I don't know if you paid any attention. Our uh, our buddy Wolfman Jeff started adding photo credits. And he gave credit to the wrong group. He gave someone else credit for my video. Oh, really? Who did he give credit to? He gave credit to uh, superfan Kay Baker, uh, who is not me. No, she's a lot smarter than you are. Let's be honest. That's Lawyer. really not not that nice of a thing, uh, or not uh, not that hard to prove. Um, <laughs> I just want I just want Jeff to know, Jeff. I'm. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Soccer chat with two T's because we're going to chat about soccer, but we're also in Chattanooga. So it's like a play on words. And, you know, Chattanooga is a soccer city. Welcome to episode 14 of Soccer Chat season two. Would like to uh, thank the Beautiful Game Network, Roughneck Scarves, Icarus FC, for supporting this podcast, and you, our fans. All one of you. Thanks, Rebecca. Find us on, on Spotify, on Apple, on Anchor, any other. Like us, subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review and make fun of Adam's beard and frowny face. Mm. It's not hard. Thank you referred to it as paprika and salt the other day. Yes. Well done. Salt and paprika. <laughs> so we've got a match. A darn good one at that. Like quite entertaining match to re recap and react to. Goals uh -huh. from beginning to end. We were down, we were up, we were gutted at the finish. Let's, with this reaction, let's start. First off, uh, we both had our guest the lineup game. Um, I think we got quite a bit incorrect. So let's talk about, you know, I kind of expected a more experienced roster to start kick off the season. 
with that first game and uh and instead we got one that was very youth based um what were some of the first things that stood out to you when you saw the starting well lineup? i mean i think for everybody when we first saw it was where where steven right um that was the first thing right. that jumped out the next thing that kind of stood out was the shock i think is think safe thing to say to see ricky ruiz on the back line i don't think anyone really that i talked to saw that one coming um and honestly, I, I expected that to see um, Wally also on there. And so there's a, a lot of things that surprised me with what was out there. It, and I think it showed at first, right? I think, I think the, the first 20 mm-hmm. minutes of the game, they looked young. Um, and they look like this is their first professional game for a lot of those guys. Um, but at the same time, the type of tempo that the coach was playing as you got further into the game, it started to make more sense. What was your initial reaction? Um, yeah, I think it really was in the first half. It felt, it felt like there was kind of young guys that were really keyed up to be starting their first game and things were a little sloppy. Um, passes weren't quite as sharp as they should be. Guys got a little over their skis, chasing people down to try to win a tackle or get the ball back. Um, and so it took a little bit of time for them to settle in. And unfortunately, in that time it took them to settle in, uh, Tormenta was able to capitalize. I was very impressed with the game that Ricardo Zacharias played at the center forward, playing as a number nine. But the first goal in the first few minutes really started off of him. A long throw in goes to him and he heads a ball directly to the feet of a Tormenta midfielder as if he was trying to pass him the ball that player turns and sends a long ball to Marco Micheletto um, you know top one of the Tormenta's top scorer from last year a guy you expect to be dangerous our left wing had pushed a little too high up the field and so there was a huge opening for him to get a running start and here again Jason Ramos in one of his first starts instead of trying to continue to shepherd him into the corner to try to hold up and wait for uh, reinforcements instead leaves his feet to try to slide tackle the ball away and gets beat. And it's that one-on-one situation where Alex Mengels tends to struggle. The only type of thing that he tends to struggle. Which with. I think it's safe to say most keepers, that's not their strength. The one-on-one play. Um. My trouble was shots that were on goal. <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's just it, it, i rewatched the the game um uh, because i like you was at the game live and you only get that one angle and you don't get replays right, right? and so watching it live it looked like it was the first goal was strictly just a we were out of position com- confounded by the fact that we overplayed the defense instead of trying to push him away we try to take a one-on-one we're gonna we're, we're just gonna steal the ball instead of just trying to control or direct where he's gonna be and i think the reaction you saw from coach and on the sideline back that view up and then when i read and rewatch it a hundred percent i felt like yeah not taking any way anything away from the tormented player because as you said he was their top scorer last year he's going to score but we made it a lot easier on him than it had to be. And I think that's a learning experience that the coach will definitely hammer home in practice this week. So that said, you know, a lot of times last year, and I actually looked it up. So last year when the opponent scores first, 
the Chattanooga Red Wolves were zero wins, five draws, seven losses. And I I actually remember last year, one of the games against Tormenta when we went down a goal and I mean, they literally just kind of turtled in the defensive half of the field. And it was like, wait, you're the ones that are behind. You need to get the goal back. And I feel like the goal almost settled everyone down this time around and things started to get put together uh, possession wise and flowed a little bit better. And they actually had a couple opportunities. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, And if we're still focused, focused on the first half, I do feel like um, there were times in that first half still where the midfield just wasn't as stable as it could have been. There was there was just a lot of uh, passes that left left me wanting that made me think that's just a an overzealous pass mm-hmm. that you can't make at this level. Um, and I think as we progressed through the game, we saw. Um, in addition to some changes that were made, but we saw a lot of those passes um, become less prevalent. So I don't know if the coach made some adjustments at halftime with strategy or if it was just having a talk with his players saying, hey, guys, you're not playing in the, you know, League Two or MPSL or college anymore. Those those passes, the, the guys are, every one of those guys that used to be the fastest on this team is now one of the many players on the team. So yeah, I think we saw a change in a lot of those Passes that were trying to thread the needle, they just kept getting cut off in the first half. So, yeah, that's a good segue into taking the second half. Um, Two changes that I noticed was one is uh, Marky Hernandez and Greg Hurst switched sides. So Greg Hurst was started the uh, started playing on the right in the first half and he moved to the left side in the second half. And the other was a substitution of Connor Doyle, who you talked about things not quite being calmed down in the midfield. That is exactly what he did. He came in, he had 89% uh, passing percentage. Uh, He won three duels. He had zero fouls. He just really seemed to have this calming, settling presence. And uh, I mean, if it weren't for the fact that Greg Hurst in that first 15 minutes scored two really impressive goals, you might say that Connor Doyle was the man of the match coming in and really settling the midfield so that the attack could be unleashed. Well, unless you're USL League One, then you're going to give the man of the match while Tormenta's down to a Tormenta player. But, uh, that's yeah, coming up. That. <laughs> uh, so the other thing that it made me think, and I'm really curious as to how significant whatever's going on with Stephen Beattie is, and I believe it is some sort of injury, um, because it just doesn't make sense for him to not be there and even on the sideline. Um, I think if it was a, a a small thing that just came up during practice, it might explain a lot because everything I've heard, he's going to be playing that midfield distributor role a little bit more than the striker role. Um, and so if that's the case, it could just be a situation where um, there just wasn't the presence that was originally planned in there and it took that adjustment from Oblada to bring in that veteran presence to to settle it down because uh, the fact of the matter is Oblada wants to play a very high tempo style and it's not a, a knock against Connor but he's never going to be your high tempo guy like that's not what his strength is and so having him as a change of pace player on the bench 
when you need to slow it down and make the exacting pass and get control of the game is going to be incredibly beneficial if he continues to play that type of role. So, yeah, and I mean, you know, kind of going back to talking about the lineup, I think there was, you know, as I said, I would have loved to have seen a more experienced one. This season is definitely a sprint, not a marathon. And to be able to come out and get those road points and kind of assert yourself was going to be really important. I think there were a few people who had injuries, uh, things that, you know, it was precautionary and knowing that they have this stadium grand opening, kind of a big deal coming up. They decided to let a lot of the younger new guys get their pro debut under their belt and, um, and have these other guys saved so that they can put their best foot forward. Now, this is the, I think the fourth time that they've been to Statesboro, three of those four times, Eamon Zayed didn't go. One of the other times was just, uh, they had played, that weekend in Orlando. So midweek they drove up and stayed in Statesboro between the matches for that open cup debacle. So <laughs> three times in Statesboro, Eamon's eye doesn't even make the trip. If I remember correctly, and someone will definitely tell me that I'm wrong, but I'm wondering if there is something that happened in Statesboro in Eamon's past. <laughs> um, but still, I think really a lot of it too is just let's let's keep these guys fresh. Let's have an awesome debut with a lot of these experienced players and put our best foot forward in this grand opening of the stadium. And it almost worked out for him all the way until stoppage time. You know, they got that lead in the second half, maintained the lead all the way until the the referee held up the uh, the stoppage time board to let us know that we had just a little bit more to see out. And that's when the gut punch came. Yeah, but I feel I'm going to be honest with you. I felt like it was happening before then. I felt like you kind of jokingly said we, we would feel like we were hanging on for the last 15 minutes when you gave your preview last week. That's kind mm-hmm. of how it felt. And watching the coach, um, and this is not a knock on Coach Obleda, but I felt like he was struggling to know who to put in um, when he was trying to make his last few subs because he was trying to hold on uh and i just don't know that he knew who we could put in or who we could take out that would allow him to create that defensive wall um and that's a slight worry for me because when we get into stoppage time there um it wasn't a fluke that they got that goal they would have been pressing for for a little while there and uh yes and so my worry is with this high tempo style that he has we have a five sub um, rule this year, which somewhat can allow the other teams to negate some of the high tempo wearing you out. Do we have the defensive players for when we're up a goal to bring in to create that shut it down world? Because a lot of our de- midfielders are even offensive minded. So the one sub left on the bench was Leo Fala. Well, but I'm thinking more on the midfield. So Fall is a, de- a defensive player, heart and soul. But like, do we have a defensive midfielder that you would say, this is the guy you bring in and here's who you take out? Well, I always thought that Walefi Dos Reis was that kind of hard, tackling, stout, ball-winning midfielder. Um, and 
last year they played another defensive midfielder alongside him to get in his way and make it harder for him to do his job last season. And this season, you know, and he came into this game and he actually kind of, you know, they they brought him in for Ricardo Zacharias and moved Ami up to the top forward position when really he probably could have been better used to sit back and and play that calming defensive ball winning role. Um, Nikos Petas was brought in to play that number six, stay in front of the defense, win the ball, get it pushed out. It almost felt to me like he was not necessarily saying we're going to bunker in and see this game out for that last 10 minutes. He kind of wanted them to continue to push and get the third goal to push it beyond doubt, which was what you were predicting. Yeah. Uh, and there was a, you know, there were some, um, you know, Uzo wasn't there, correct? He wasn't even on the bench, right? Correct. Uchenna Uzo, I think, is who a lot of people is definitely who I expected to play on that left side. We saw that a lot in the preseason matches way back um, last decade, it feels. <laughs> um, and uh, and he yeah, he also did not come. And you wonder if it's the same sort of thing. He had something that they decided was precautionary and they just weren't going to have him travel and, and risk putting him out there because they want him to, to be part of that gotcha. home opener. Yeah, I think I, I just would have. That's the thing I just kept feeling like, and I kept, I mean, honestly, I heard the coach talking to the assistant, like, what would you, what, who should we take out? As if they were trying to figure out, like, they just, yeah. what they had left. And this is before they ended up uh, putting in Pettis. Like, like, it was like they were, argu- they were, they were, we weren't sure what the next thing to, to do was. And I think a big part of that is not having Uzo, not having um, Greg Hurst kind of threw a wrench into probably what some of their substitution plans would have been uh you know so they had 16 16 or did they have 17 with them because they had tim trilk as the backup goalkeeper which they're always going to have on that roster just in case yeah, something so they had happens. 17 um hang on i just knocked on wood um so they had 17 you're allowed 18 so and I think really for travel purposes, trying to maintain social distancing, trying to limit uh, travel exposure to players on the roster uh, due to COVID, that they didn't bring that one extra guy. Um, you know, you try to think about who was left home, someone like Uchenna Uzo. Um, I mean, just his his even Stephen Beatty. Stephen Beattie is the kind of guy that has the intelligence of how to slow a game down and kill it and bleed it out. And, you know, it's just it's going to happen, right? Like, I'm not we're not sitting here saying that it was a terrible ending. I mean, it was a terrible ending, but it's it's not like it it was surprising. It's going to happen. It it doesn't remind me like I'm thinking back to like the the Toronto um, game last year where we just let them score and it felt like we weren't even trying. That wasn't what this was. Like this was a different type right. of gut punch where that one felt like we just let them score when we, sh- we weren't even like closing them down. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a, um, enough of an effort put in. Oh, you're talking about that. Yeah. yeah or, sorry. The Orlando, Orlando B game. game. Sorry. Get them getting my B teams mixed up, but yeah, the Orlando B game where it just felt like they weren't even trying to close them down. That wasn't this, this was just, right. It, it's just one of those where they kept pushing. And it was like, when I saw five minutes go up on the board, I'm like, Ooh, that's going to be a tough five minutes. And then they scored in the first 30 seconds. And I was like, the next four and a half minutes, we're going to be hanging on. And then we almost had 
a really right. strong opportunity for that third goal. I'm still not 100% confident he was offsides. Uh, that said, he, that he would have been saved anyways. But um, and, right. But that other than that, like there was that one probably 30 seconds of the last four and a half minutes where it looked like we had a shot. Other than that, we were holding on, and there was one really good save from Mangles to save it from being a to keep to hold on to the road tie. Uh, that it was a, a hard shot right. right at him. So, uh, you know, overall. First game out on the road versus a very talented team. I think we should we should not be hanging our heads in shame. We we can be frustrated that we didn't get that extra five minutes to finish it out, but take the point and be happy. So, Jimmy Obleda, I think would disagree with you, and that's part of why I've grown to love him in this short time. He he did not even make eye contact with us as he was leaving the field. He was so mad about giving up that chance to get points on the road. You know, and he he wants us to be mad at him. That's one of the things that's fun. Like he he can take the heat in the kitchen. He wants us to be ticked off at this team for having that in our fingers and letting it slip away. Um and uh and so I and because of that and from what you saw of giving that goal up, but continuing to push and getting it back, uh, creating opportunities. I think you're right. It's a road point when you've got the rest of the season to go on. It's a it's a good thing. It's something to build off of that I think can be a positive. But in the moment, he was definitely very, very frustrated that that game didn't yeah, go and the way so, he wanted. Uh, well, and I will kind of finish it off when we're talking about this game and so we can start heading towards looking at some of the other stuff um, that's coming up for the team. Uh, you kind of made jokes about the power rankings last week, um, but even with the tie, they, the rankers moved us up two spots. Um, yeah, no, it's a very, very important, awesome to see. We moved up in the power rankings. Their power rankings are awesome. You should <laughs> but always what I was pay attention. Point out is, the the thing that's interesting about it is um is that they they even kind of point out they came one final save from earning the road victory like we were there we were and i think earning is the right term cuz you go down and you have the reaction this team had they earned it like that both of those goals were were well earned that it wasn't because tormenta made mistakes it was quality play that calls the goal, which I think is something to hang your hat on. For sure. So big game this weekend, home opener at uh, CHI Memorial Stadium. CHI. Those are initials just for people to know. There's, there's more about that. That's coming. Um, we're going to have uh, Sean McDaniel on after this segment. Uh, great interview with him talking about what kind of things to expect, uh, both aesthetically when you get to the stadium and are looking around, and also procedure-wise in the age of COVID, what kind of things you should and should not be prepared for. Um, but what do we know about Tucson, Adam? Have you Did you watch Tucson versus Fort Lauderdale Club Day football? from this Saturday. So I had, I did, I did watch the first half. I did not go past that. Um, I do want to say though, based off of the fact that, um, from watching it, they didn't look super strong versus the kiddos. And I say kiddos as nicely as I can, because 
Club Day Football is so, a very young team. The one thing that stood out to me early in the game, Ricky Lopez Espen, who uh, was a signee, um, I believe he's somewhere in like his early mid twenties, uh, has had some pro experience. He scores a goal, and all of the Club Day Football players come over to start giving him high fives and celebrate with him. And you know, in the Little League World Series, where you have that kid with the suspect birth certificate because he's like fourteen, even though all the rest of them are twelve. That that's what yeah. it looked like. It looked like you know that one kid's fourteen-year-old brother came and picked up with all the twelve-year-olds and and scored the goal in the game. It was just amazing to see you know his his look and all of the youth on the faces of all the other kids. Um, but yeah, so right at the end of the second half, their second player gets a, a second yellow card. So they had two players pick up two yellow cards in the first half and get sent off. And so for all of the second half, Tucson is playing with a two-man advantage. And it took all of 40 minutes for them to finally break down Fort Lauderdale Club de Football and get the goals and come so away with the win which actually is better than what my Timbers did last year against Colorado when they were playing against nine guys. Let's not go there. So I won't go there because that's just mean. Uh, but I am going to ask you this. Do you think it's more Fort Lauderdale that, that just hunkered down and put the nine men in the box? Or was it, in your opinion, a failure by Tucson to be able to make a strong effort? I think even with nine men, if you're hunkered down, versus 11 it still still shouldn't be that that hard to break down i wouldn't think um especially a team that's young i mean you know the reason <laughs> that they had two guys sent off the field was two guys making two really ill-advised slide tackles you know you had to have had that same sort of thing even if you've if you've got nine teenagers scrambling in a box to try to bunker in, you know, one of them's going to fling a leg out too far and trip someone or foul a guy 20 yards from the box and set up a really good shot. It seems like there still should be, uh, you know, you still should be able to take care of business when you've got a little more experience. Uh, you know, Tucson is not necessarily, a, a you know, a team of geezers like us or Richmond were last year, but they're not a team that's, you know, made up of mostly academy players. They're, you know, they're they're guys that are pretty close similar to what Red Wolves have. Young guys that are pretty much college graduate age um that should be able to to polish off that sort of thing faster and in they my did, opinion. They did take 16 shots of which half were on on target and only two obviously mm -hmm. went in. Uh but yeah, that's just that's not strong. Like you, you would expect a, a three or four goal, easy victory, um, when you're up two men. I think if the Red Bulls go up two men, I, I would be shocked if we didn't um, score more than two goals. So, right. So that's what we know. One of the other things I did a fun little search. Um, none of the five players, four players who scored goals against the Chattanooga Red Wolves last year was part of the lineup for FC Tucson this season. Um, one of them we talked about, Devin Jambaga, is with 
Tormenta. The other three I haven't really been able to see. They might still be on the roster. Maybe they'll be part of this match. Um, but it seems like there's been a lot of changeover. It was hard to get kind of the exact roster. It was pretty much the the 18 that were listed for this for Fort Lauderdale game was all that I could find. Um, a lot of changes, so we'll have to see. Of course, you know, the team last year gave us fits. We had a draw at home. We lost two games in Tucson and did not look good in either of those patches. Um, so we'll have to see what happens when uh, when this comes Saturday. Yeah, so speaking of this this upcoming Saturday, what do you expect from the Rebels? Are you expecting us to kind of do the same thing we did versus Tormenta where we are very, very aggressive? Are you expecting any changes or what are you what are you looking for? So I'm expecting more experience in the lineup. Um, and I'm expecting still to have a very high pressure, fast moving um, you know, math fast moving game. They're gonna they're gonna definitely be aggressive. They're gonna look to get the goals. Um, I'm hoping they're going to be keyed up in a good way in you know, excited about getting to play in front of home fans. Uh, Sean McDaniel has talked about, you know, as long as you're as long as you're staying in your socially distanced assigned area, he wants you, you know, making noise and, and being rowdy and cheering the boys on. Um, there's not any kind of restriction against cheering or drumming or anything like that. Um, so so hopefully that spurs them on and can lead to uh, some pretty positive results. So speaking of the lineups, you just kind of referenced it and mentioned that you expect a little bit more um, experience in there. What is your expected changes that you see Coach Obleta making? Uh, so I'm hoping to see Uchenna Uzo on the left side or maybe even um, sliding in the middle. Um I expect to see um, maybe Stephen Beatty in place of Ronaldo Pineda playing alongside Ami. Um, you know, I I felt at times like Ricky Ruiz and Marky Hernandez on the left side struggled a little bit, especially getting back defensively. Um, offensively, they had a great game. They both had assists. Marky had a shot on goal that. Uh, was actually a pretty impressive save yeah. uh, by Tormenta uh, late in the game. Um, they it was it was defensively, you know, in duels and in drawing or conceding fouls where they tended to struggle. But I think I think with that, Markey, um, you know, assisting Greg on his first goal, having a chance to score in another one, creating I think a couple other chances, has earned a chance to be in. So I think really you'll see Steven. Maybe you'll see someone like Wally in that defensive role for Josue Soto, um, but him being the captain, maybe he's he's also and he impressed me in that defensive midfielder role. So I don't necessarily see him having. And, to come we out. had five yellow cards in this game, um, and you know I don't know, and I've tried to look it up, but I'm not. Yeah, I wonder why the referee was so uh, so hesitant to give out yellow cards. Five <laughs> seems low. Yeah, uh, there was a couple times I thought he was going to pull a red. To be honest with you. Um, but not not focusing on the ref, but <laughs> part of that, though, is I don't know what the accumulation rule is going to be this year, but I wonder if that's going to play into it at all and who he decides to keep in or not keep in. I'm with you. Assuming that BD and Uzo are actually healthy and it was just a healthy scratch, save them for the home game, which I'm not as confident in as you seem to be. Um, 
But let's assume that's correct. I think you're going to see both of those guys come in. I think it's going to be Ricky Ruiz, and I think it's going to be Ronaldo Pineda that are the odd men out in that. Um, I, I feel like uh, Ricketts cemented his place and his quality of his play. Hurst, obviously, with two goals, seems like he cemented his place. I was impressed by Soto. I thought he did really well. I thought um, Nick Law did really well. So uh, those are the guys I see most likely of of not being – not playing. I think he likes the being able to pull you um, right. Wally off the bench and Connor off the bench. I think, uh, you know, you're going to continue to see Fala and um, Alexi and Nico's coming off the bench as well. I just don't see those guys being someone he's going to be rotating in to start uh, as much as I love Leo Fala. And I, I do really actually enjoy him on the field. And I think he's, uh, he's one of those guys that shines when he's on the field. Uh, I just don't know that he's going to take the place of Ramos mm-hmm. or Nicola. I just don't see that happening. No, I don't think right away. I, you know, I, I talked about Ramos kind of having an ill-advised slide on that goal, but he he was still, other than that, very solid. I think the the pairing of him and Travis Nicola at least deserve another game. And when you talk about things like yellow card accumulation, I think there's going to be plenty of time to uh to maybe have to cycle in someone like Leo Fala to to take the place and let those guys have a break. Um I think someone that may make an appearance uh as a substitute is Amon Zide again, someone that could eventually come in for Ricardo Zacharias and and or uh, even and uh, even come in for goal. like a Marky Hernandez because so. um you're gonna that's definitely a, a change up, right? You go from a speedy small guy to a uh what's right. the nice way to say this? slow big guy he has the <laughs> uh wiliness he knows how to slow a game down when you're needing to uh to close it out how to get uh into those kind of positions so i think that I, definitely i'll tell you one of the things that he did see. really well last year was receiving a long ball and controlling it right to his feet as opposed to a lot of times you'll see a ball that just gets a little mm-hmm. bit away and it causes some problems. Um, so yeah, from that standpoint, I could see that where you're, you're clearing out, you've got, you know, you're dropping back eight men in the box and you're clearing out to two at the top. And if you've got someone like him who can contain the ball and, and give a really crisp pass to a, to a, to a Greg Hurst or Beatty, depending on who they've got in at that point, um, that's going to be beneficial at the end of game. So I, I would like to see that as well. And I, I, I apologize for for forgetting about the uh, the Irishman because he's I think going to be a very important part of our bench uh, and being that kind of super sub type uh, scorer for us. I mean, nothing beats what he did last year, where he literally never stopped running from the sideline in for a corner kick and scored a goal. Yes, that was just the best. Okay, so it's time to make our painful predictions. Prediction? Yes, prediction. And uh, let's just take a look at what we think is going to happen in this game that obviously is not going to happen because much like uh like usually happens you predicted Amon Zaid scoring a late winner and Amon Zaid didn't even get on the bus 
<laughs> I also predicted two Stephen Beattie goals, so I was 100% <laughs> wrong. So, yeah, I'll go. I'll take the first stab at what I'm predicting here. I'm predicting a shutout. Two nothing shutout. I think Hurst picks up another goal. And I think we get a hometown boy getting a goal on a corner kick in Mr. Ricketts. All right. I'm going wild. I'm like I'm like Rocky Balboa, who doesn't protect his face in any of these movies and somehow manages to win boxing matches. I'm going to say <laughs> four nothing blowout goals by Greg Hurst, Ricardo Zach. I was worried you were going to start picking up Tucson players. Ricardo Zach. No, we're not. I uh, I on on uh, Twitter they they nominated a bunch of uh, goals of the week and they nominated one of Richmond's players and I commented on it and asked if he scored that goal for Richmond or for Greenville. Um, no, we've got goals by Greg Hurst, Ricardo Zacharias. Uh, a uh, I like the the goal by Ricketts. I'm going to give you that one. He did a he did a very good job on set pieces getting to that ball. Um, and a final one by O Captain, our captain, Stephen F. Beatty. Is is his middle initial really F? Um, that would make me so happy. Kids, cover your ears. Um, <laughs> trying to so, keep our clean. Trying to keep our clean part. That's why I just went with his middle initial. What? Come on. <laughs> um. <laughs> If you want the other version of that, please tune in to League One Unfiltered. <laughs> so that brings us to our uh, interview with Sean. Here he is. Everyone enjoy uh, Chattanooga Red Bulls general manager, Sean McDaniel. All right, we are back for the third time. We have Red Wolves general manager, Sean McDaniel. Uh, Sean, if we ever get around to making t-shirts for the program, you've definitely earned a free one. Uh, thanks for joining us. Well, it, uh, always a pleasure, and I appreciate you uh, guys having me on. So uh, last Saturday, we had a wonderful uh, debut, a 2-2 draw against Tormenta. Uh, the last five Red Wolves games for Greg Hurst, he's had four goals and one assist. Uh, it's a, a late season investment that really seems like it's paid off for you guys. Yeah, and and when we picked him up last year late, he's he's doing exactly what we had hoped he would do on the field for us. I mean, besides being just a great teammate and a and a great person for you know Chattanooga on the pitch, this is why we have him. And it's to to be dangerous, to create opportunities, to score on his opportunities. And, you know, even if he doesn't have the ball, now that he's put the ball in the back of the net and is dangerous, uh, people are looking for him. So, you know, it spreads out the defenders and gives us other gaps for uh, some of our other guys. And we're we're glad to have him with us. We uh, had a very young Young lineup announced Saturday, um, but some notable ones, both Ricky Ruiz and Marky Hernandez uh, getting assists on the two goals for Greg Hurst. 
And uh, the Chattanooga product, Jonathan Ricketts, had uh, about 67% of his passes completed, won 12 duels, uh, and uh, put a shot just wide of the goal. So um, some some youth definitely showing out. How, talk about how they did last uh, Saturday. And, you know, going into a second season, you can always look back and see where where can we make adjustments this year versus the the previous year? And certainly one of the things as we went through league one's inaugural season last year, it was clear that teams are built with uh, athleticism, youth and vigor. And I think what, what coach O'Blade has done a very good job with this year is he's, he's balanced it extremely well. We have some very young players who are, are still learning the game but we have some very, very strong veteran players who fill in the holes and the gaps. So you, you kind of you, you mix those two soccer cultures together, uh, youth and athleticism with, you know, experience and, and soccer knowledge. And I think we've got a good product on the field this year. Yeah, we definitely uh, felt entertained watching the match, seeing the attacking, seeing the you know the play get put into that offensive half of the field. Um, so it really did. I think a, a lot of the changes have played off, and we're excited about Oblata Ball, as I like to call it. Um, as we look to this home opener against Tucson, um, it seems like there's been quite a bit of roster turnover there. But uh, as someone who, of course, is connected in the league and, and knows some of the goings on, what are you expecting to see from Tucson this Saturday? Well, I, I don't I don't see them being much different than they were last year. And I don't I don't mean that negatively. I mean, what they did well last year was, again, they they recognized, you know, what League One uh, talent is and and they're able to pull from their their feeder club phoenix rising so you know they they have a great mix of again youth and uh and athleticism with some some very strong veteran players and i i have no doubt that they'll be as good if not better than they were last year um but i think we're built better i think we're bet, built better this year to not just be competitive but to to actually win these matches and and have the better play uh just like we did with uh, tormenta and uh, our expectation is this year certainly is going into every game with confidence that uh not that we could or should win but that we we will win that's our that's our mentality and again that's a credit to coach oblada and the culture he's building with the the team so let me ask you a follow-up on on that culture and that team that you guys have built when you look at the the roster turnover and what you've changed, what would you say was the main focus that created the current um, uh, setup of the roster? Well, I think you know, like anything that whether it's it's professional soccer or you know the workplace, you have to get the right mix of of personalities, and that that doesn't just come within the locker room and with the players and the coach. It comes through the 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 ownership to the GM all the way through the organization. So even beyond just um, the type of player that Coach Oblada wanted to have in here, we we were equal to the task in building our front office with the the types of personalities that that mesh well so i think organizationally it goes it goes beyond just the the play on the field it really is from the top of the organization you know with bob martino and it filters through 
the the veins of uh, the soccer culture here, from ticket sales to soccer operations to the the level of play on the field. And we we spent a lot of time in the off season making really sure we put the right group of individuals together to have that collective team unit. So as we look forward to Saturday, not necessarily on the field, but as fans are rolling up to the stadium, what are what are you most excited to show off about this stadium as it's built? Well, I think I th- there's there's a number of things, but the the two or three that jump to to my mind are it's the first of its kind in Tennessee. There is no professional soccer specific stadium in the entire state. And when you look at cities like Nashville with an MLS team, Memphis with their championship team, and and to be able to to drop a pin on Chattanooga and say, hey, we did it, right? We built the first state-of-the-art soccer specific professional stadium. That's that's a that pride swelling in a good way. Um and the second thing too is it's the beginning of of something that is going to last, I think, generations. I mean, we've just we've just started. Uh, the stadium is, while it's not a hundred percent complete, it's it's three quarters of the way there. So over the next years, not only will the stadium continue to go up before our eyes, but the entire development will go up before our eyes. So I th- I think what really says it loudest and best to me is to be able to to stand in the middle of the field and, and look there and go, boy, we've come a long way in two short years. And we've come an even longer way in one short year. Look how much we've done in, in you know less than 24 months. I, I can't even imagine what the next 24 months will hold. So so speaking of the that stadium and what we're we're going to be seeing there, obviously um the the field and the stands themselves are up, but a lot of the other parts that were in the renderings or that are that are coming aren't there yet. So on game day, what type of amenities should a fan expect as they're coming into the stadium? So the the best way to probably you know paint the picture for what happens this Saturday is the the product on the field is exceptional. So that's that's the first thing I would note. We've we've just got a, a great house around it. And so to be able to come watch um, the best soccer, not just in the state, in my opinion, but really even in the region, um, that's the first thing. The second thing is it's even though we don't have all the amenities built out this season, you know, when we kick off on Saturday, it's still it's still brand new and and it's shiny and the the seats pop from the side of I-75 and you can't even begin to imagine how close you are to the action. I mean, you are on top of the players in the field. And and I think that's probably the most impressive uh, asset that people will notice when they walk in those gates uh, on Saturday evening is when they walk and, and sit down, uh, they're going to they're going to be on the field. And it's it's an experience, a soccer experience, not seen not even in many MLS cities um so to be the first of its kind and build out this this true fan friendly environment where you're you're on top of the action is um is really pretty cool so what kind of you know you've talked about the stadium being about three quarters done what kind of timeline are you looking at as far as finishing that last quarter 
um, adding things like the common area that's out front of the stadium that's going to be, um, you know, part of the game day experience as things go forward. What's the timeline for those? Well, I think like, the, probably the best way to answer it is I didn't think we'd be this far in this short of time. So I, I might answer it in reverse is, you know, each week that goes by, more and more uh, stuff goes up literally before our eyes. So, you know, I, I still think the the vision and the plan is is a three to five year build out. And we've not seen any reason to for that to slow down. I mean, certainly uh, the labor market and weather and all the things that can affect construction are, are unpredictable. But uh, we built a we built a, a beautiful stadium in less than a year. So my expectation is we'll continue to move at that pace. Um, and see this thing continue to grow up and around us uh, over a very short period of time. And so, are things going? Are things going to continue to be added through the year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're it, we're building even <laughs> even as the game's going up around us. Uh, you know, again, as site plans are delivered and as um, as the development continues to take shape. Uh, we'll continue building up and around it. And and while my role is is strictly on the, the the professional soccer team um I, I do dip my toe in the water of the stadium so sometimes i'm just as surprised and learn of learn of uh, new construction events uh, as the general public learns so let me ask you a question that kind of goes back to your role as as part of the team um do you have is most of your work or your busy season is more the off season or is there a lot that you yourself are doing during the season that 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 we're not really seeing it. Can you give us some insight into what it's like as a GM during season? Yeah. So this, this as an example, our season will end hopefully with a, a championship trophy on October 31st and literally on November 1st, coach Oblada and I start to start to peel apart all the pieces that we need to, to fill in. We, we evaluate the, the current roster. We, we look to where again, sort of gaps and holes are, what players are we not going to resign? Whose options we won't exercise? Who do we want? And that that starts November first, and it, it's a it is a tedious process because we're all getting in line at the same time. Uh, it's it's a little like uh, Christmas Day at Walmart, where everybody piles up at the front door, and once it opens, we're all flooding in, and it's not much different here. We're we're trying to to position ourselves to bring talent in and sign them early before anybody else does. One of the selling points, of course, is we live in the scenic city and we have a beautiful new stadium and development with it. So we we start to, it, it's salesmanship um, to agents, to, to players, to, you know, teams that are looking to move players on. So yeah, it's busy. And then the non-soccer side of it is we still have to sell season tickets and sponsorships. And we want people to um, to be a part of the upcoming season. And the reality is preseason starts in eight months. So if this season is going to be over and we're going to turn around and we got to have guys back in market February 1st. So it's just a lot of behind the scenes work as we get queued up for, you know, kicking off in March of 2021. So there, I saw an announcement on social media that uh, there were some single game tickets available. Are those tickets still available? Are people going to be able to uh, continue to buy them uh, at the I, Red Wolves office? Listen, we're. I think we're going to sell out um, by the middle of the week. I mean, you know, there's there's a, a sense in Chattanooga that I'll just wait till game day and I'll walk up and buy a ticket. 
I don't know that that's going to be the case, certainly this year. I mean, we, we have to have social distancing, so our capacity is approximately 700 fans. And I mean, literally by the, the hour, you know, tickets are being sold. I mean, we have a couple of sections already sold out. So I would encourage fans to don't wait to walk up because I'm not, I'm not sure there's going to be anything available uh, on game day. So talking about the uh, game day, and of course, um, in the wild times that we live, you talked about having to social distance, the capacity being limited. What are things that fans need to know as they come to the game? What things do they need to have with them? What do they need to be prepared to do uh, to make the game day experience smooth? Well, the good news is we've we've had a few weeks just in our own society where, you know, mask wearing hand sanitizer, uh, you know, socially distancing are all new realities of how we conduct business and, and are around each other. And we're, we're no different. Um, the, the way our local health department uh, lays it out for us is when you're in an outside venue and you're safely distanced outside of your cluster or group of people that you came with, um, it's, not, it's not necessary to wear a mask uh, out in the open like that. Although we strongly encourage everyone to bring them. Um, we have, of course, all the signage that, that we ask everybody to read that says, if you have these symptoms, please don't come in. Um, we're a cashless stadium, so we don't, we don't want to handle cash. And that's not necessarily COVID directed as much as it is. It's how commerce happens, uh, these days. So, you know, People will be um, able to come and go within the stadium and distanced in their movement and their ingress and egress and hand sanitizer stations all over the place. And really, it, it's just it's like a it's a big open air sporting event, but distance appropriately. And um, again, masks available for sale, but we encourage people to bring them if they uh, would like to do so. And all the other cleaning components that that come with it. We have all the seats being uh, specially cleaned on Friday, or sorry, Saturday day of the game, and um, we were taking all the the pieces that it takes to to keep the thing um, up to standard, so that we limit and you know reduce any risk for our fans and for the players. The signage is unfortunate because Adam, of course, can't read. Uh, but I'm glad I'm glad that we came on here so that he could hear all the instructions. As a fellow Covenant student, I think he's going to fight you on that one. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely hey, it was it's been laid out before uh, before time. So you know, no matter what we do, it was going to happen anyway, right? <laughs> That's right. So, um, a couple of uh, misanthropes like myself and Adam that don't really tend to mix with other people. Our families are pretty close together if we came as a group um you know a larger group folks that are not the same family is that the sort of thing that you guys will allow to sit as a group or are you going to want to look at who bought tickets together yeah uh, and so that's a that's great point so the 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 ability for our fans to go online and choose their seats is really important to this whole process because that's really 
what determines your cluster or your group that you're with. So, you know, for example, if you have season passes and, and you've bought four for you and your family, you're you're assured your seat and you're assured that you'll be properly distanced from anybody else who bought their tickets. Uh, for the walk-up, it, it's going to have to be first come, first served. And if we got availability in the general admission, we'll escort you to your seat and make sure that you're distanced from others who are already there. That I, I can, really can't encourage people enough to go online and buy your tickets. And that way you get to sit with the people you want and you're, you're sitting in specific seats that are already segregated out and distanced from others. So us just generally being kind of obnoxious um, folks, we we traveled to Statesboro. We're so grateful to Tormenta for allowing us to to make that trip and buy tickets. Um, we did plenty of cheering ourselves as we were socially distant from all the others. Is things like cheering, um, is someone bringing a drum or something like that into the stadium, is that going to be allowed? Yes, absolutely. Um, flags, drums, all the the pomp and circumstance that generally comes with uh, the passionate supporter is absolutely allowed, just as long as they're six feet away from other people that they may not know or be in their group. So we encourage all the noise, all the flags, all the pageantry, all the banners, TIFOs, drums, load it up, and we'll make sure that people are close enough to be heard, but far enough to be safe from each other. So Sean says, bring the noise and the funk. That's, that's what I heard. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you a really logistical question that I know you're going to know the answer to, but I've been asked this by other people that l I know listen to the podcast. How the heck do you actually get to where the stadium is? Yeah, it's a great question. We literally got uh, up on Google Maps, I think, on Friday. But the best way to 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 say where it is, Park Ridge Hospital on Spring Creek Road, directly across from the hospital is North Max Smith Road. And it used to just dead end into woods. Uh, well, now it actually runs into CHI Memorial Stadium. So get on Spring Creek, find um, the, the local uh, hospital there and North Max Smith. There's a convenience store on the corner. And we'll have the we'll have the big Red Wolves bus parked out front. Uh, it'll be quite clear that you're in the right place. But that's that's how you get there. awesome. Um, so here again, there's there's a lot of kind of construction around the outside of the seats that's going to be going in the future. What kind of things should people expect as far as vendors? Of course, we know all the uh, awesome swag that you guys have at the team office will be there. Uh, is there perhaps a particular barbecue joint that all Red Wolves fans know and love that will be available? Is there going to be a uh, particular brewery that brews a delicious red ale available while folks are at the game? Yeah, I don't want to ruin uh, the the surprise for our food and beverage manager, but I think people will be very happy with the the food offerings. Uh, this this uh, first couple of games will work through our food truck partners, um, but uh, the probably the best word we can literally say is there will be beer, and there'll be lots of it, and from the local vendors as well as others. And uh, so, yeah, to to answer that question, uh, if you can envision a a large um, 
safely and socially distanced restaurant with some great soccer going on, we'll have that uh, on Saturday in this season. So folks don't have to plan on eating before the game. There will be things available there for them to enjoy, especially also some water because five o'clock in the middle of July is not really the time to not have access to drinks. So one of the things that won't be ready are the lights. And so that's why we have the five, five o'clock kickoff. Um, right. But yes, uh, everything from lemonade and uh, we'll announce our uh, beverage provider for this season here uh, probably later this week. We have beer. We have other alcoholic drinks. We have non-alcoholic drinks. We have all sorts of food. Um, you know, it makes me want to sit in the stands and <laughs> eat and drink instead of be the GM on Saturday. So you may see me up in the supporter section. All right. You got anything else, Adam? No, I, I definitely want to thank you for your time. Uh, and I also want to just mention that uh, from a fan standpoint on Saturday at state in Statesboro, we really got to see the reshaping of the team and just a, uh, from a fan standpoint, I want to say we were impressed with not only the quality coaching that Ablada brings, but the obvious time you guys put into building a, a, a young, energetic team very quickly from what we had last year. So thanks for your hard work. And to drive that point home, the owner of Tormenta actually called me about 30 minutes before we jumped on this podcast to specifically say, hey, I'm only calling to say you guys did an about face from last year. Our team walked off the field going, those guys are good and they're going to get better. So when you have the owner of the opposing team make it a point to 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 call uh to call me to compliment the team it's um it's exciting to think of what what not only can come this year but but even beyond all right well sean mcdaniel red wolves gm thank you so much for your time this evening and uh, we really look forward to giving you a socially distant wave on saturday and congratulate you on opening this showpiece of a stadium thank you guys Thank you to Sean McDaniel, our uh, our third interview with him. He is now the uh, the most uh, most interviewed guest that we've had on this program. Poor guy. I know. Um, so I have questions. Yes, you have a question. No, you do. You know. You do. You know. You do. You know. You do. You know. Oh, no, that's cool. You don't have to. No, you don't. Just do your own thing. I'm up here. You're down there. That's cool. Okay, so, uh, yes. I uh, rewatched the broadcast and uh, just had a couple things that I was curious about. So I didn't realize that our stadium is sponsored by a soy-based hot beverage. Yeah, I mean, everybody likes Chai Memorial. It is a memorial of chai tea. So I guess, I mean, there is the Starbucks that's right there uh, at, near Camp Jordan by the stadium. So everyone get your chai latte and we'll have our. Oh, like yeah. you said on Saturday, we 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 saw uh, one of our one of our fans on the Red Wolves fan page on Facebook. Uh, check that out if you have not. Uh, but he said something about telling the guy how to say CHI Memorial. Uh, like you said, CHI Memorial is also a sponsor of the Omaha of Union Omaha. Yeah. So, yeah, it's Catholic Health Initiatives. It's one of the largest hospital groups in the nation. 
Like, it's not like it's just some small local company in Chattanooga that you should have never heard of. Like, CHI owns a lot of hospitals throughout the country. So it's just kind of comical that, once again, League One comes through with their inability to pronounce not only names now, but, you know, companies that are large companies within the U.S. Yeah, I just I don't understand how no one at League One says, hey, let's reach out to all of the teams in our league and ask them for a copy of their roster with all of the last names spelled out phonetically so that people know how to pronounce someone's last name. And the thing is, you know, like your your old buddy Juan, Juan Mare, and someone would call him Mir. Like, how do you get Mir out of M-A-R-E? Like, that doesn't even need to be necessarily spelled phonetically. Those are the kind of mistakes that drive me nuts. You know, if you mess up Vangel Zaguro, I can kind of understand. Yeah, it's just, even then, though, like, this is what you do. Like, you're, you're putting on a broadcast on ESPN. You should be able to pronounce the names of stadiums, the names of players. There should be a phonetic guide. It should not be that complex. And if you can't, then go to a podcast like, like me because I can't pronounce a darn thing. But at least I'm not on live ESPN trying to mispronounce things. And before I'm doing that, I'm asking the question, right? Like, like, and and just to to, to, (laughs) to kind of nail this home, I went and looked like how many, where are the hospitals for CHI? They're in Arkansas, Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Minnesota, Nebraska, North Dakota, um, Ohio again, Oregon, (laughs) Pennsylvania. Yes, but. Are any of them in I, That's Florida. the thing. None of them are in Florida. They're not. But they they are everywhere else. So there you go. Washington, Texas. So my <laughs> next next question. Are League One broadcasts supposed to be a home team's broadcast of their home game? That's how they treat it. Yeah. Except any time that I've watched a Chattanooga Red Wolves home game. It has never felt like I had some guy giving a home home announcer broadcast. Yeah, I think that technically they're supposed to treat it like they're the home team. Because like if you watch like a Richmond broadcast, they'll talk about like local Richmond businesses and stuff during the broadcast. Well, yeah, and they they've put they've put those local commercials in and things like that. But sure. that's what I'm saying. Like it, it's a Richmond commercial. Like if I'm if Chattanooga's playing Richmond, it's a Richmond commercial. If yeah. Richmond's playing in Chattanooga, it's not. So I think it's supposed to be a home broadcast. But there again, and of course this year with COVID nineteen, it's different. But most of the time, if you're playing the game in Richmond, the home fans are at the game. Why Why do the, the people who are away are the ones that are most likely watching on TV? Why do I give two bleeps about anything that's happening in Richmond, the, the Richmond local news yeah, team? That why is do I weird. Care? Like Seriously. I called that out last year. It makes like a little bit more sense with the COVID stuff, right? But not assuming you're going to have at least half your stadiums open, right? Like Statesboro is open. Chattanooga is going to be open. Richmond's open. Um I think a couple other places are, and some of them aren't, right? I think I know Greenville's not yet, um, but uh-huh. you're gonna exactly like your most passionate fans are probably going. The ones that are probably playing for ESPN Plus are paying to watch the away games, like they're not paying to watch the home games. They're at the stadium for those. So that is weird to me that they do it that way. Um, also, I would like to know that, like, if you're watching the away games, like you have the same guy every time. He's going to start knowing how to how to pronounce 
certain game. Like when he's talking about Chai Memorial Stadium, he's going to know like it's not Chai Memorial Stadium. It's CHI. That's why there's three capitals in a row. Yeah. That's the English language. That's how it works. So, um, not really a question, just kind of enjoyed when they put up the graphic about keys to the game. They had Tormentas, and then for us, they had the <laughs> Forward Madison logo. Um, those kind of those kind of things are always just the best. Uh, don't don't stop. Don't stop doing that, League One. Um my my final question. All right, you all right, you're gonna have to like throw in some kind of bleeping thing. All right. My final question. Why the are you making the player of the game, the player who scored a goal in the seventh minute, did nothing else besides get a yellow card over the guy who then scored two goals to put his team in the lead as the man of the match. What the heck is up with that? I think it comes back to it's a home broadcast. I think even if it's a home broadcast, if you're watching some baseball game and your star player hits a home run and then through the rest of the game, the opposing team's star player hits three home runs the player of the game is the guy that hit the three home runs. Well, we'll have to catch and check. Like if if there's a game that we're the home team and we just get like destroyed, we need to go check and see if somehow they gave it to a Red Wolf. Because then that'll answer that question for us. Rusty the Red Wolf is our man of the match. Every match. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. So let's uh, switch gears. It's time to go around League One. All right, so taking a quick look at the standings, Greenville has played two matches and has uh, has first place. Um, they've won them both. Um, you've got Tucson, North Texas, who in their opener beat Madison. Aw, hate to see it. And you have a jumble of teams with uh, one point uh, for their draws. So it's early looking at the standings. Um, poor Richmond gave new meaning to the phrase beating yourself. Um, Fort Lauderdale Club de Football has two losses that, I mean, you you kind of expect, especially as a new team. Um, they seem a bit like a clone of Orlando City B. I think the two of them are, are going to be battling for uh, relegation to USL League <laughs> 2 all season. Uh, I was a little impressed by New England Revolution, though. I think they're a team that are going to they they kind of, I think, built it as more of a farm club with a little more experience. I think they're going to be a, a bit of a challenge. Through the so year. I I don't agree on New Do England. Agree? I think Omaha is just overrated. Um, and I think we're going to see that throughout the season. So that's Ooh. my that's my spicy. I don't spicy. I just think that you tied another team that's overrated. Uh, I think Richmond is going to be like Richmond was last year. They're just not very good either. Uh, I think Ford Madison's better than what than the loss shows. I think they're going to move up the standings. 
Uh, I think North Texas and Greenville are going to continue to be good. Um, Tormenta, they look good. I think you're gonna, it's going to come down to, based off the first week, um, granted Orlando hasn't played yet, but looking at it, I think it's going to come down to Greenville, North Texas, um, ourselves, and Tormenta as the four teams that are really be fighting for those top playoff spots. And uh, the rest of them can just kind of, I think your next tier down is your Tucson and forward. And then from there, the rest of them are just going to be fighting for, um, you know, be, being relevant in the second half of the season. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. Um, and uh, and we'll get a good look at what we think about Tucson here on Saturday. Aside from our game, we've got games uh, Tuesday night. Tormenta is having a quick turnaround in playing Richmond. Friday night, Madison's hosting Greenville. Um, and then a pretty full slate uh, with Richmond and Fort Lauderdale, Tormenta Orlando, um, and uh, Omaha hosting their first ever home match against North Texas on Saturday, August 1st. Uh, besides, of course, wanting to watch the Red Wolves match, what's one that you're like, ooh, that's interesting, and are planning on checking that out once the uh, kiddos are asleep or something like that? It'll be the Friday's match between Ford and Greenville. Um, w- this will basically cement what I, I think is with whether or not Greenville has just had the fortune of playing um, two weakened teams, and that's why they've looked good, or are they really that strong? If they're really that strong, they should win this by two. If they're not that, and it's a tie or they lose to forward, I think then we can say that Greenville's going to ha- not going to be as strong as we expect. So that's why that game's really interesting. Cause I think it'll give us insight into Greenville and into forward to a point. Um, outside of that, I don't really think there's anything that jumps out at me that I'm interested in. For me, I'm interested to hurry home, which if you know, my family is probably not going to happen. Um, cause they, they love people and they're tired of spending all their time with one grumpy curmudgeon. I really can't blame them. I'd be sick of me too. Um, but I want to see what's happening with Omaha North Texas here again to see if you're right that they are overrated or if they're able to play fairly even with North Texas, that might show that maybe they do have a little bit of that strength that, uh, so many people have talked about. Yeah, if, if North Texas smoke shows them, I think we can go ahead and just put them away for the season. Um, if not, maybe, you know, then it proves me wrong. But uh, my prediction, I, I expect Tormenta to beat Richmond. I expect Greenville to beat Ford. I hope we win. Um, I could care less about Richmond and or Miami to Fort Lauderdale, whatever you want to call them. I think that game doesn't really matter. So, um, and then Tormenta has a quick turnaround where they get to beat up on Orlando City. So Tormenta could be sitting at, at two wins in and one tie when this weekend's over. And that wouldn't surprise me at all. And then that would make Wednesday's game on the fifth really interesting when they go play Greenville. That said, Tormenta's just getting destroyed, right? How many games they're having to play? Like right in a row. And apparently according to the broadcast playing them with lots of injured players they only had three available substitutes with us i have a hard time believing that all of a sudden six more people are going to become available for them uh in the next couple of days yeah i mean they go so tuesday we'll they go, see what happens uh, yeah they went saturday tuesday saturday wednesday and then right back at it saturday they don't have a full week off until the eighth to the fourteenth. That's yeah. Brutal. That's pretty. That's pretty brutal. So. so I guess with that, we'll uh, we'll sign this off. Thank y'all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you Saturday at Chai Memorial Stadium. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks for listening.
Bye. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. We're going to skip the FA Cup stuff because we're already at 46 okay. minutes and we have a 20-minute interview. So let's go to the quick wraparound of the League One. Okay, so um, now I'm not ready. I'm all freaked out. <laughs> Let me try to find the standings. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> now I have, a, I gonna, have what I need at gonna, the end. 